traditionally, as we have done for a few years, um, we have made Wednesday Chapel of Homecoming Week an alumni chapel. And so I am thrilled um, to introduce our speaker for this morning, uh, an alumni that was here during, during my time, so it's been a joy to be able to reconnect with her. Um, but at Sterling, Amy Wiley, uh, now Bryant, she majored in communications and minored in theology. It almost was a double major, but Greek was just a little bit too frightening. Uh, she spent three years uh, here at Sterling as the sports editor for the STIR, which was the name of the uh, paper at the time. And she may have made some aspiring ESPN writers cry with the amount of red pen on their stories. So if you're a journalism major here, uh, you should be scared of Amy and her editing uh, skills. Professionally, in the last eight years, she's spent uh, in criminal justice. So I know she's connected with Mark and the department here. Four with the Pueblo County Sheriff's Office in Colorado and four as a domestic violence probation officer. Early this year, she left criminal justice to return to her love of writing and founded the next right thing, W-R-I-T-E, a copy and content writing company, and then, because she's so great, was asked to take over the marketing division for one of her clients, and so she will become the marketing director of True North Data Solutions in the next month. She is mom to Alex, who was born during her junior year here at Sterling in 2008, and Jaden, who was born the year after she graduated in 2011. And above all, Amy would say that she is a product of God's ridiculous grace. Let's give her a round of applause and invite her to the stage this morning. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. So thank you for everybody who wanted to be here. And thank you for everybody who scanned in for chapel credits. I appreciate you guys being here, too. <laughs> um, before I get started, I just wanted to ask any of the staff who were currently here during my year, 2006 to 2010, if you could please stand. Anybody? Nobody? Oh, yay, there's one! <laughs> so I just wanted to shout out and thank you. Um, guys, seriously, you do not understand how much um, your teachers and your staff pour into your life until you're no longer here. Um, and you're going to make connections that are going to last for your entire lifetime. So nurture them. Please take advantage of all of the resources and the years of experience that your staff and your professors have. Because um, the reason I'm standing here was because I kept a relationship with Coach Jaderston. And uh, last, in the spring, when I was here to teach some of Dr. Mark's classes, he said, Amy, you want to do the homecoming chapel? And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> really? Um, I was not your typical student while I was here. The first two years, um, my freshman and sophomore year, um, I was very busy. I did track and field. I was a sports editor. Um, and then... Sophomore year, I was also holding down two other jobs. So I was, I was a little busy. And um, I was always the girl that was one of the guys. Okay, that kind of happens when you're this size at a 4A high school. I was, I've been the biggest girl on campus the majority of my life. And when I came here, suddenly I, I wasn't. Okay, and in my head, I accepted that definition that I'm just one of the girls you know, the guys don't see me that way. And I was ridiculously naive. And I came to Sterling and um, I met a guy who became my boyfriend. And all of a sudden these boundaries were being pushed that had never been challenged before. And so in March of 2008, um, I, <laughs> I had um, our first outdoor track meet. I had, uh, midterm projects, and 
um, I think I got 20 hours of sleep for the week before spring break. And I was late. And I was praying so hard as we drove down to San Antonio for, um, for spring break. I'm just like, okay, Lord, let it be stress. Let it be stress. And we got down there and no luck. And so alone, I went to Walgreens and got a pregnancy test. And alone, I waited till everybody was busy, doing lunch, doing something else. And I went and took the pregnancy test. And you never know how much two little lines will change your life until they're staring back at you. And for three weeks, I was a complete and total ghost. I thought that abortion was my only option because I was a good girl. You know, I didn't do that. I didn't do those things. I was not going to embarrass my parents. I was not going to come home and tell my family. I, I mm-mm, mm-mm. And one of my closest friends here on campus, my boyfriend's best friend, his name was Noah, um, he pulled me aside. And his mom was a midwife. She taught parenting classes. And she also taught post-abortion, she did post-abortion counseling. And he's like, sis, I understand. I wasn't eating. I was freezing. I wasn't talking. Um, how many of y'all are from Texas? Woo, woo. I am so sorry. Um, <laughs> so San Antonio in March, all right, it's already 80, 90 degrees, 60% humidity. And I was walking around in a hoodie, y'all. I was in a hoodie, I was in sweats. Like my body was in so much shock. I, I literally just, everything shut down. And Noah pulled me aside and he's like, sis, I get it, but you do not understand what can happen to your life if you follow through with this decision. And then the next day, because God had a plan even if I didn't, um, I told my, uh, my best guy friend, I call him my brother to this day, his name was Joseph. And he said, Amy, I love you. And if you had the balls to stop being afraid, you could see what God was trying to do with the crappy decision that you gave him. Well, excuse me. (laughs) (laughs) So, but God. Those are my two favorite words in the entire English language. And I'm a communications major. I'm a word nerd. I know a lot of words. Okay, six letters capture all of the potential power and dynamic life change that is possible when God happens. I could not say that I was going to keep it because it was it. I couldn't even call my pregnancy a baby. It was it. And so I told God, I'm like, Lord, I can't say I'm going to keep it. I can't. But I trust you. And I went to the school nurse. And that itty-bitty tiptoe towards God turned into my fifth grader that's this big. And... He's huge. He's huge. My, um, my ex-husband was 6'10". He was a center for the basketball team. So <laughs> we have some big kids, y'all. <laughs> so it was hard 
It's been hard. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to make it better. Okay, it's been hard. Um, we, we got married. We decided to get married and try to do the whole family thing. Um, he had a little bit of a problem with the whole uh, fidelity, exclusivity, only one person, one woman, one wife thing. And in 2011, while I was eight months pregnant with my son, my second son, Jaden, he's like, you know what? You were right. I wasn't ready for family. I'm done. And so there I am, eight months pregnant, and I am planning for a baby and a divorce. And in August of 2008, like, you guys don't understand what your decisions, the amount of stress in your life can do to your body, okay? There was so much toxicity in my life and the amount of stress, like my body was literally rejecting my life. When I went in to have Jaden, I had four active staph infections that I could not have antibiotics for because it would make me have a miscarriage. And so um, Jaden was born. I was planning to move back home to Colorado, 14 hour drive. And my best friend comes down to visit before I leave. And uh, he and I were talking, you know, just being ourselves. And then he leaves the room. He went to go play a pickup game. And she looks at me and she starts crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's wrong with you? And she's like, babe, how come you're letting him talk to you like that? Huh? Th this is normal. Like this is, we're just... We're just talking. We're joking. She's like, mm-mm. She's like, nobody talks to you like that. So why is your husband talking to you like that? Normal is only what you're used to. It is what you are comfortable with. It is your surroundings. It is not reality. And in my head, I remember sitting at a Starbucks and I was journaling and I remember being so angry at God. My pen, as I was praying, because I pray in my journal, my pen was literally smashing through the paper and I told God, I'm like, Lord, if this is what marriage is, you lied. Because it's not being home five days a week alone. It's not getting a call, hey babe, I'm going to the gym. Hey babe, we're going out. Hey, babe, I'm too drunk. I can't come home. What? But that was normal, right? So this is, this, is, this is normal. I'll make it work. I'll make it work. Because in my head, I'd already compromised myself. I got knocked up at a Christian college. Yay me. <laughs> okay. And guys... <laughs> There were people who would leave the room if I started talking about the baby. There were people who wouldn't speak to me. But when I came back that fall, those very same people, once they had a ring on my finger, hey, honey, how are you feeling? Like, I can't wait to babysit. Excuse me. Like, I am so sorry that my piece of hardware makes you more comfortable. This is the same baby. So the definitions that we put on our life, okay, knocked up versus having a baby, 
happy marriage versus you lied. Those definitions that we accept govern our lives. So in Jewish culture and Jewish tradition, the name of a person was indicative of their character. Okay, so my name, Amy, means beloved. All right, I was almost named, and I'm still mad at my dad for this, I was almost named Ariel, which is Hebrew for lioness of the tribe of Judah. I'm like, hello? That would have been so much more awesome. Rude. So Jacob, in Genesis 32, um, Jacob's name meant deceiver. And that was how he lived his life. That was his go-to. That was the way that he functioned. So he deceived his father and got 75%. He got the oldest son's share of his father's inheritance. He got the prophecy over him for the oldest child. He went to his uncle Laban and got deceived and had to work 14 years for the wife that he actually wanted. Then he had to work another six years to be able to leave with the stock, the sheep, and the animals that he had raised. And so 20 years later, after coming to his uncle Laban, he is returning home, and a messenger runs up to say, hey, your brother Esau wants to see you. Oh, God. I hope he doesn't kill me. This is not going to be good. And so he's there at the Jordan River, and his brother Esau and all of Esau's 400 minute arms are across the river. And so Jacob is like, I got this, I got this. So he sends over three herds of animals as a gift. Okay, let's be real, it's a bribe. You know, please don't kill me, take some sheep. And then he sends over his wives and children ahead of him, not leading them, ahead of him. And so he's left at the other side of the river alone. And he's waiting and he's praying and he's like, God, tell me I still have favor. You know, tell me that you are still going to make good on your promises that you're going to make me prosper. And so that night while he's up there praying, he, there's a man. And he comes down and he and Jacob wrestle. How many in here like MMA, boxing, fighting, anything like that? Oh, yay. Some aggressive people just like me. Um, so they fight all night. Now, boxing, you have nine rounds of three minutes. Wrestling, you have three rounds of three minutes. And in law enforcement, they say if you don't win the fight in the first 30 seconds, you better hope that you can hold out for five minutes until your backup gets there. Eight hours. You guys, that's a really long time to be fighting for your life with someone. It's complete and total exhaustion. All of your adrenaline is gone in the first five minutes. So you are fighting on heart. So Jacob was fighting on heart. And finally, as the sun is coming up, this man touches Jacob's hip. Now, I was in a car accident four years ago. Um, I was on my way into work. And um, 
was in uniform, the whole nine yards. And a service truck came down and uh, brake checked me as I was trying to pass him. And so at 71 miles an hour, I hit this truck, solid steel truck. And I hear my husband's voice in my head saying, two hands on the wheel, keep it straight and don't let go. And the car starts spinning and all I, I'm, I'm, I'm just literally screaming, Jesus, let me live. Just let me live. And the car finally stops. And I can't move my right leg. And my face took out the mirror like it was, it was a mess. The bad part about being in law enforcement and working graves is you know everybody. So I knew the state patrol by name who came to my car. I knew the EMTs, I knew the firefighters, and so they're in the process of trying to get me out of the car while I'm screaming because my hip, so my knee hit the dashboard, and tall people, you guys can understand this when your knee's in the dashboard. My knee hit the dashboard so hard that my femur blew out the back of my hip socket. And so I, I could not move my right leg and I didn't know why. So my hip is about in 15 pieces, and they're trying to get me out. And my buddy Randy is trying to, you know, put me on the board to pull me out of the car, and I'm like, bro, I'm wearing cute panties. You are not cutting my pants off. <laughs> we do not need to know each other like that. I was like, the only thing that is bleeding is my face, so leave my pants alone. And... So I have been in the kind of pain that Jacob is in, okay? It is, oh, mm -mm. and get this, guys, Jacob still held on. He can't walk. I can't walk on a bad day. I look like freaking Quasimodo. It's bad. Um, and Jacob held on. He said, I will not let go until you bless me. No matter the pain, no matter the time of this struggle, I will not let go until you bless me. And the angel said, you will now be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with man and have overcome. You guys, our heritage, an entire nation, what we are able to step into because of the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus Christ, our heritage is the people who struggle with God. That is what we are called. In law enforcement, I've been called a lot of things. Um, some of them rather not nice. Um, my favorite was a John Elway buck-toothed, honky, bleepity bleep. And I went over to the cell and I high-fived the guy. I'm like, wow, that was creative. Good job. <laughs> Guys, we, we accept a lot of definitions of ourselves. We accept loser. We accept screw up. We accept jock. We accept nerd. All of these labels, all of these definitions, we internalize. And a lot of the times we are not aware of the messages and the labels and the definitions that we've received until we're trying to fight them off. Until we're trying to learn why we did that. Why do we think this way? 
my husband and I had a really long conversation because he asked me, he's like, why is it that you hate being called beautiful or gorgeous or any other physical endearment word? Because I'm not. Don't bring that word over here. And he said, I know, but why? (laughs) And I realized I had had some experiences in middle school take that what you may, that changed the way I looked at myself. And I labeled myself as one of the guys because being pretty was dangerous. I didn't want you to look at me that way. And it was a lot safer to be one of those guys because that's the definition I recreated for myself. So our struggles, your story, my story, our history, are actually his story. It is his story, it is God's story to reveal himself in your life. And it can hurt, it can be unpleasant when God is trying to show up and show off because it doesn't look normal. It doesn't look like what we think is supposed to look like. When I came here to Sterling, I had my whole, I had a five-year plan, I had a 10-year plan, I had a 20-year plan, and it did not include getting knocked up two years in. It did not include getting married, It definitely didn't include going into law enforcement. That's the family business that I was going to avoid at all costs. God can confine you in order to bring himself to your attention. In the book of Hosea, God does this super crazy thing. He asks his prophet, a priest, preacher, pastor, whatever you want to call him, to marry a hooker. I know I didn't hear that right, God. (laughs) I'm not marrying that girl. Mm -mm. But he did it. He did it because he obeyed what God asked him to do. And the point of the book was, the point of Hosea's experience was for God to illustrate that he loves us. He loved Israel regardless of Israel's decisions. Okay? And so um, Hosea 2.6 up there. There we go. So I will block her in, in front of, behind, beside, until she has no choice but to acknowledge that I am the Lord. And when you are working a crime scene, okay, everybody focuses right here, okay? They focus on the floor, they focus on the walls, they focus on anywhere they can see anything, right? the number one area that people forget to check is the ceiling. Because we never want to look up. Because we always think we're the biggest. And so God hemmed this woman in until she would look up because she had no choice. And when God uses our circumstances to do that, it's not fun. It is not pleasant. It is not Warm and fuzzy, okay? But he, so finally, she turns around and she goes back to Hosea. She goes back to her husband. And in a beautiful illustration of God's love, he does not shame her. You know, you shouldn't have left in the first place. Well, I told you that was going to happen. I don't know what you thought you were thinking. 
No, he says in verses 14 and 15, and I'll give you my version, I will romance her. I will lead her on an adventure so I can show her how much she is loved. I will give her back her means of self-sufficiency in the wilderness, in the places where it does not make sense. I will make the valley of death, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. <laughs> if you were in a season of being confined by God, I'm telling you right now, since I'm a couple chapters ahead of y'all, you're not going to win. <laughs> there isn't another way to say it. You're not going to win. <sighs> God loves you so passionately. And he is not going to stop loving you, no matter how hard you fight, no matter how big you think your screw-ups are. <sighs> it, it just it won't happen. When I, when I left probation, when I left the sheriff's office after my wreck, I went to probation, and I got hired, and I did all the orientation things. And then my boss and I sat down with me, and she's like, okay, so you're going to be a domestic violence officer. And I'm like, okay, I quit. <laughs> I was like, I did that for six years personally. Uh-uh, I'm not doing that professionally. Nope, nope, I refuse. But God turned the valley of trouble into a door of hope. Statistically, with domestic violence, only one to two in 10 victims, whether it's male, whether it's female, will live, will leave the relationship while they're still alive, okay? And I have three. In four years, I was able to get three women out. And God gave that to me because he was showing me how he was bringing my experiences full circle. So, when I was getting ready to leave Texas, I was getting so angry because my brother, my uncles, my dad was like, okay, did he hit you? Do I look stupid? I was like, why, why would I stay if he hit me? Because they could see from the outside what I couldn't see from the inside. Because while I was in it, that was my normal. Because God had so confined me that I would look to him to get out. And in that one to two years of after I left Texas, I was so thoroughly romanced by God. You guys don't even understand. Um, so we were on our way to back to Colorado, and we hit San Angelo. Okay, it's about four hours outside of San Antonio. And it's August in Texas. So it's about 100 degrees about 80% humidity. So it feels like you just detour through a sauna in between air-conditioned buildings. And we found a gas station that was right next door to a church. And the, there was a playground. It's like, awesome. You know, my two-year-old can play. I'll feed the baby. Well, everything's good. Everything's honky-dory. So I'm sitting there on the side of the curb, right? And all of a sudden, all these cars start pulling up. Jesus, that better be a funeral. Mm -mm, that better be a funeral. It's a Saturday. It was a wedding. Lord, I do not appreciate your sense of humor. That is rude. And so this uh, southern pastor's wife came out. She stuck her head out the door. And she's like, sweetie, why don't you come in the air conditioning? I'm fine. We're good. I'm not coming in. I'm on my way to get a divorce. I'm not coming in to 
a wedding. Nope. And then she gives me this look. And I don't know if y'all have ever been nicely cursed out by a southern lady. She says, sweetie, you should come in to the air conditioning. Okay. So we're sitting there. And we feed the baby. Alex gets to play. We eat lunch. It's a grand old time. And then the pastor's walking us out. And, you know, where are you from? Where are you going? Blah, blah, blah. And so I just explained. I was like, you know, I'm on my way home. I'm getting a divorce. You know, life didn't work out the way I thought. And he grabbed my hand. And I felt this, like, little zing. And I got goosebumps. And I was ready to pepper spray him. <laughs> And he just looks at me, and he just drills me with his eyes, and he says, Amy, you need to know that God has not abandoned you, that God has not forgotten you, that he loves you. So I'm crying. He's crying. And then he's like, you know, normally I do not accept payment for weddings, but I did this time. And then he hands me a bill. And I'm stubborn and bullheaded, and I was like, no, sir. I was like... I wasn't here for a handout. I was just here and excited about shade and a playground. Like, this was not in the plans. And he's like, I know, but this is yours. So I was like, okay. And I get in the car, and he had handed me a $100 bill. You guys, when God decides to show up, you can't stop him. You cannot stop him. Your mistakes can't stop him. Your screw-ups can't stop him. Your family history can't stop him. Nothing. If he shows up, he's going to show up. And that brings me to my last point. God will use your story to refine you. Okay? He is going to take something that looks worthless. Okay? Silver starts out as a rock. Right? And then it's mined. <clears throat> and then it goes to the silversmith. And so the silversmith goes through this process. He puts it into the fire, and he takes it out, and he puts it into the fire, and he takes it out. And every time he takes it out, he slices a little bit more of the impurities, the crap on top. He slices that off, pours it off, and then it goes back into the fire until this process continues until the silversmith is satisfied. Okay? You guys, I am not a good Christian. All right, I love Jesus with my whole heart but I've spent the last almost 10 years working with criminals, okay? I can also cuss like a sailor and shut down 90 men in a pod by myself, okay? God took that. He took a girl who so compromised herself, she got knocked up at a Christian college where she's surrounded by all these means of support in order to not do that. He took that to where I am right now, okay? He took Saul, which means sent one, and he turned him into Paul, small or humble, to become one of the greatest missionaries that the world has seen. He loves taking outcasts, the misfits, the people who don't belong. He loves taking that because then, you know, broken people know they're broken. I know that I cannot do it by myself. I am angry. I can be bitter. I'm selfish, and I struggled with those feelings for a really long time until God took care of that, and he refined me. So 1 Peter summed up his journey 
his first one of his first letters, First Peter, in all this you greatly rejoice, for now while you have, may have had to suffer grief in all kinds, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Isaiah, a young man who said, I am not worthy to see God, said, I have refined you, but not as silver. Rather, I have refined you in the furnace of suffering. Malachi, the Lord will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, the leaders of his people, the priests, like silver and gold, so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. So let's go back to our silversmith. He's taking it in. He's putting it out. He's taking it in. He's putting it out. And he is sitting right outside the fire, right outside the furnace. He did not put it in and, you know, toddle off. I need to go get a coffee. I need to go use the restroom. No, he's sitting right there in the heat with you. He's sitting right beside you. And a woman asked the silversmith, she's like, well, like, tell, tell me about it. How do you know when it's over? Well, if I leave it in too long, it's going to become brittle and it breaks. It's destroyed. Okay, well, then how do you know when it's done? He said, when it, well, I know when it's done because when I take it out, I can see my image in it. God is going to lead you through some hard places. And if you are sitting here wondering about this whole God thing, you are so loved. And I would not be standing here if I didn't believe that. He does not put us through struggles and hardship just to see what happens. Ooh, let me poke her with this stick. Let me see what that does. You know, let me throw him this curveball and, you know, let's see what happens. <laughs> he wants to refine us to constantly make us better until we reflect his image, not ours. Maybe you're sitting here and you know that God is calling you to give up something, to release something, shaping you, forming you, and it hurts. It is a struggle. I would like to ask you to be brave and come up here. My RDs, my RAs, my prayer team, if you guys can come up here. I want to pray with you. I want to love on you. Let us be a family. Maybe you're sitting here and this Jesus stuff is straight up crazy. You guys are a bunch of freaks. You know, this is a bunch of hippie nonsense. But there's a pull in your heart that you cannot understand. And there is something that keeps you up at night when you're sitting there going, God, Jesus is trying to reveal himself to you because his word does not go out void. And he said, I have put good plans in front of you to prosper you and not to harm you. I have set out good works for you to do. You are not unplanned. You are not an accident. Just because I didn't expect Alex didn't mean he was unexpected that there is a plan for his life. <laughs> Y'all, I don't have the answers. I don't, I don't even want to pretend that I do. I am not any form of authority. 
I just know that Jesus loves me ridiculously. And I know he loves you the same way. I have seen hard things. I've seen a 17-year-old beaten so badly she loses a six-month baby. And the man is charged with third-degree assault and walks. I have seen a two-year-old be abused so much that her brain swells and bleeds and she dies. And the answer to those things, even when it doesn't make sense, is Jesus. He is what makes forgiveness possible. He is what makes true healing and true freedom and true love. He is what can transform an addict into a drug counselor. And the only way to allow God to refine you is surrender. He is what has taken me from an angry, ashamed, bitter little girl, defined by a pregnancy, defined by being Mrs. Slim when I was dying inside, confined by a single mom, by my role, by my fears, by my scars. And he has refined me into someone when my world is falling apart, I can turn around and smile because I know no matter what, God has it. Surrender your right to be in charge because you're not. Surrender your right to your plans because it's not going to turn out how you think. And surrender your heart, your whole heart, because he will not accept anything less. So if you are feeling any type of way, please come down and let us pray with you. Um, I know it's coming up on 1050 and you guys are ready to go to lunch or go to class. So I would just invite you to come forward. Let us pray with you. I would love to talk with you. I'm going to be on campus the rest of the day. So if you have any questions, um, I'll be at lunch. I'll be in Dr. Mark's class at 12. So I just want to take this time to just be still and listen. And then you are free to go. Um, if you so will, you are free to stay. We're just going to give God room. <sighs>